0: Log talk radio this is the Shanice Lewis show the number one podcast for plus-size women with your host the queen of curvy conversation Shanice Lewis
1: welcome to the show I'm your host Shanice Lewis today is Monday October 2nd 2023 Make sure you're following this show's social media pages on Facebook at the Shanice Lewis Show and on Instagram and Twitter at Shanice Show. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider and never miss a show. Today we have a very special guest. Tigris Osborne is the fat activist, fat activist rights activist and the executive director of NAFA, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. In 2023, Tigris co-launched the Campaign for Size Freedom alongside colleagues at NAFA and the Fat Legal Rights Advocacy and Education Project with support from Dove. She is also the founder of Full Figure Entertainment and co-founder of Phoenix Fat Force. She is an intersectional feminist teacher and writer whose professional background as a youth empowerment leader and DEI educator has informed her fat liberation activism since 2008. She has been featured in USA Today and Newsweek and heard on BBC Social and ABC News and seen on Everyday Feminism and News Nation Network. Tigers will be honored with the People Community Service Award at the 2023 Full Figured Industry Awards and we are so excited to have her on the show today. Welcome Tigress. Hi Shanice. Hi Shanice listeners. Hi. How are you?
0: I am great, Shanice. I have a quick question for you before we get into me. Do your listeners have like a cute little title, like you know, Mariah's lambs or Beyonce's beehive? Do your your folks no, have a, a name? I
1: never named them. I never named the listeners. <laughs> okay, listeners, so you know what your assignment is: you come up with a name for yourselves. <laughs> right, right. I never even thought about that. <laughs> but now I want to. Educate my listeners about the amazing work that you're doing because you are really moving and shaking and doing some amazing things. So first, for those that are listening who may not be familiar with NAFa, briefly tell us about the organization. Absolutely. So NAFA was founded in 1969. A lot of
0: people are who are more familiar with sort of modern body positivity are surprised to know that there's a fat organization that goes back that far. But um, we always uh, emphasize that, that's, that we're the first documented organization because we want to hold a lot of respect for the folks who were, you know, doing this work sitting around their kitchen tables or, you know, doing this work as, you know, visibly fat entertainers in, in Hollywood or, you know, The black women and femmes who were, um, you know, fat women at the forefront of the U.S. civil rights movement. We always want to honor those folks, even though they weren't part of a formal fat rights organization. So, um, but we were incorporated in 1969 and started by, um, you know, a thin man who had a lot of um, concern about the way that his beloved fat wife was being treated out in the world and wanted to help make the world a better place. So he gathered some some friends, um, the author of the first fat rights book and the, the, and you know, he and those folks um, started the organization. And since then we have um, worked in a whole variety of ways to try to educate people to change. Our mission is to change perceptions of fat and to end size discrimination. So we do that through all kinds of different projects that are about education and advocacy and supporting people in fat community.
1: And so you said it started in 1969. So how many years um has that been?
0: Yeah, so we will um we
1: turned 54 this year as an organization. Wow. So this Napa is older than me. <laughs> yes. so,
0: just to, like if you if you try to picture what happened in you know
1: 1969 is the year
0: of the um, Native American folks occupying Alcatraz. It is the year of the Stonewall Rebellion in New York City, um, which you know is credited as setting off the movement for LGBTQ rights as as we know it today. Um, it is the year that. The year the moon landing, it's the year that Sesame Street started, like it was this, you know, year of all of these important cultural phenomenon. And so we're really proud to exist alongside all of those things.
1: So how long have you been the executive director? And tell us what does that role entail?
0: Well, I've actually only been the executive director since July, but I was the board chair for two years before that, and I've been on the board since 2014. Um, And as the executive director, I, you know, oversee all of our day-to-day operations. I work really closely with the board to, you know, to create and build towards the, the vision for the future of the organization, to make sure that we are running sustainably, that our infrastructure is strong so that we can continue to do this work um, and that we're reaching new audiences. You know, one of the pieces of our legacy is that unfortunately we were not an intersectional enough organization for most of our history. So we did Mm -hmm. really important work, um, you know, really important work for fat folks sort of in a general way, but then when you got into specific identities that fat folks have beyond just being fat, um, we, we were not doing as good a, a job as we needed to be in reaching people of color, in welcoming LGBTQIA folks, in you know, making sure that we were centering the most marginalized people in our communities. And so, um, so today that intersectional commitment is really important to me. Um, I came into this, you know, your your viewers cannot, your listeners cannot see me. I am a a fat, black, middle-aged, disabled woman, and I came into this work, um, you know, from doing professional work as a DEI educator, diversity and equity and inclusion educator, and um, like my bio said, working, you know, working with youth in Oakland, California, to help them become the first in their families to go to college. And so I was in this world where I was talking all the time about race and gender and sexual uh, orientation and other kinds of identities. Um, And for me as a person myself and for me as a community leader, I needed to see NAFA become more intersectional so we could reach more people and support more people. So that's really an important part of what we're doing today is figuring out, you know, how to reach across generations. I'm really proud. You know, our board has a fan from age 24 to um, our oldest board member turns 69 today, actually, um, and Um, And we have the most diverse board we've ever had in some other ways, and it's really one of my points of pride as, you know, as someone who was the board chair for two years. And then um, becoming executive director was a big deal for us, as for me personally, but also for us as an organization, because we had been an all-volunteer organization, and we have been a predominantly volunteer organization for most of our history, but we hadn't had a paid staff person in 20 years. So to be rebuilding the organization and strengthening the organization in such a way that we could afford to pay an executive director, that's not just important for us as an organization. It's an important symbol for our whole movement. Um, You know, there are other um, organizations in our movement that are doing the same, like working really hard to, um, to ensure that, you know, as much as we vol- we love our volunteers and rely on them, that we are also able to compensate some folks for this work because it enables different people to do the work. So those are some of the, some of the things that we've been focusing on lately.
1: Well, I'm impressed that you're on payroll. I did not know that. I thought you were just volunteering your time. Um, but that speaks volumes for this organization and how it's legitimate because when you tell somebody, you know, we're fighting for fat rights, they'll probably think it's something that's, you know uh like fetishy or something that's not not professional but this is legit and running professionally
0: Yeah, and one of the things that we want to do when we talk about changing perceptions of fat um, as part of our mission, you know, we also want to change perceptions of anti-fatness as a form of discrimination. When, When a lot of people think about fat shaming or the way that fat people are treated in the world, they're really thinking about the interpersonal things. You know, does somebody... Think you're attractive? Do you um, do you feel good about yourself when you look in the mirror? Do, just pe- do people in your family put pressure on you to lose weight? People are thinking about those kinds of things, but mm-hmm. the reality is that um, anti-fatness is actually a pervasive form of systemic injustice. Uh, body size discrimination affects people in their jobs. It affects them in their pursuit of housing. It affects them in their pursuit of education. It affects folks. Um, it certainly in terms of like getting the um, the support that they need to live healthy lives. So like medical discrimination related to body size is a huge factor in what impacts fat people when we try to go about our lives in the world. And so there's, you know, it affects people in the court system. It affects parental rights. It affects, you know, the opportunities for, um, for, for family planning. Like there's all these different ways that anti-fat attitudes in our culture create barriers for fat people. Um, and that's what we, we want to raise awareness of that, because a lot of people don't think about all those ways until they are experiencing one themselves or one of their loved ones are experiencing that. But, you know, we found, um, we're, we're doing some partnership work with Dove, and in their research they found that at least 34 million Americans were harmed by size discrimination um, in, in um in 2019, which is the year that they were they were looking at. And, you know, that's a lot of people. And we're talking about, we're not just talking about like, do people think you're cute, even though you're fat, we're talking about like, do people think that you should be paid fairly? Do people think that you, you know, have the same rights as other people in the culture? So that's part of what we're trying to change, too. We want people to stop seeing fat people as only fat. um, But we also want people to start seeing the issue as a serious civil rights issue that. Is linked up with every other civil rights issue you care about. If you f- care about fighting racism, you want to think about how perceptions of fat um, disproportionately impact Black and Brown people. If you feel about, you know, you feel passionate about working towards economic justice, you want to think about how fat people are paid less in their jobs, and so on. Like we could do this in like every category of things that people care about, in every way that people are concerned about social justice there is a way in which anti-fatness shows up as part of that and makes fat people's lives harder.
1: Mm-hmm. So the language that you use is not the normal language um, guests use on this podcast. Usually mm-hmm. it's plus size, it's curvy. And I mm-hmm. think we all have the same ultimate goals, Uh but there's a difference in the, the two communities. So what do you think the difference between the fat community and the plus-size community is? Well, there's, you know, there's, of course,
0: a lot of overlap, right? The word fat is challenging for a lot of people. We use it intentionally um, because we believe that you cannot destigmatize something that you won't even say. And the only way for us to reclaim that language and, um, and have the word fat be a neutral descriptor or even a celebratory descriptor of our bodies is for us to actually use that word. So that feels really important to us politically. Um, and and it is, there is a way in which fat is a political identity, right? It's an alignment with wanting to do social justice work around, you know, ch- like changing these perceptions. Um, but it's also a word that carries a lot of trauma for a lot of people, and we recognize mm-hmm. that. So we, um, we want to invite people to use the word fat. We don't want to pressure people to use the word fat. We want to encourage people to rethink their associations with the word fat, um, but we don't want um, to belittle the emotional reactions that people have when they hear that word, when it's been used against them in so many ways. We just want to offer a different way to use it. Um, And, you know, with with the hopes that that sort of begins to establish fat as just another way to describe somebody, that's not an insult. The same way you don't lower your voice when you say somebody has blue eyes, right? (laughs) You -hmm. don't, you know, you don't lower your voice when you say somebody is tall. Um, And we want to have the same, you know, empowering experience of the word fat and ultimately then just a neutral experience of it. That is just another of the many, many things that make up who we are as people. Um, we, when people are really not ready for that word, plus size is a pretty universally accepted term. Um, the challenge for some folks with plus size is that it's so connected with women's fashion that it feels uh-huh. really gendered to some people, and, um, and that makes some people feel like it's not the right term for them or for them to use about about their loved ones, um, in medical settings, we often see the word "higher weight." The, the phrase "higher weight" used as um, as a as more respectful language. What we don't use in fat in fat activist communities is we don't use the medical O words. What we call the O words, so the words "overweight" and "obesity." We only use those words when we are um, talking critically about those frameworks, or when we're um, when we're when we're forced to directly quote from something because that is how the terminology is used in like medical research and things like that but the reason that we object to those words is because the word overweight implies that there's one universal weight that is the correct weight and you can be over it or under it. And we don't think that's right in either of those directions, right? We don't think that's um, fair to larger people and we don't feel like that's fair to smaller people. There's not a universal weight. That's the right weight. Um, And we don't use the word obesity because the term is so medicalized and it so much establishes this idea in people's head that fat is a disease. Being fat is a disease, Um, And that it is a problem to be solved. So, like, there should not be any stigma that comes along with having a disease, but there is stigma that comes along with having a disease made up about you. And we believe that um, the medical establishment has created obesity as a disease in order to give a way to correct it that we don't think actually needs to be ha- happening. So I, just, I know that can be kind of a lot for people who are hearing it the first time. So the mm-hmm. short thing I will just say there is, like, if you've never stopped and thought about how making fat a disease gives a whole lot more people a whole lot more ways to make money by curing that disease, I encourage you to think about that and maybe even do a little bit of research about how obesity became a disease. Because we sort of operate like it was always a disease, and it wasn't. And in the U.S., it wasn't until 2014 that the American Medical Association said obesity was a disease, and they actually said that against the advice of their own committee about whether to designate it a disease or not. So I just invite your listeners to think about, like, why would a medical association – not trust their own scientists who said this is not really a disease category and make it a disease category anyway. What other motivations might they have for that? So for those of us who are advocates and and activists, we're just always thinking about that kind of stuff and wanting to push against that kind of stuff, so we avoid using their terminology that way.
1: Now, what would you say to someone that says the fat community is more militant than the plus-size community? I
0: think that can be accurate. Um, I mean, I think militant is, you know, a word some people are going to be not want to be labeled as militant or radical, and some people are going to be quite proud to be labeled as militant or radical. Um, I do think that um, there's respectability politics in our activism circles as well um and for people who don't you know know that phrase it basically means like the expectation that you act a certain way in terms of you know to be socially acceptable or to to make make peace don't don't rock the boat kind of thing um there's a respectability politics in in fat activist community as well but there um but there are people who are more likely to embrace <laughs> that feeling that they're being radical or even militant because um, because we believe it's worth it, the consequences of not pushing that hard far outweigh the consequences of pushing that hard. Um, I will say, though, for your listeners, because I think, it, you know, I know in my bio you mentioned full-figure entertainment, but for folks who don't know what that is, um, FFE was a nightclub event, a nightclub promotion event that I ran uh, in Oakland for about nine years. And I came into this work from plus size community. I didn't start in activist space, um, You know, I first learned about NAFA when I was a college student. There was a staff member at my college who was very active in NAFA, and she did a little workshop that I attended when I was 18 years old. So, I'm, you know, I'm 48 now. So I've been knowing about NAFA for 30 years, but it wasn't until later in my life that I got more involved in NAFA, and I came into that from nightlife. So I came into that from BBW parties and plus size fashion, um, and I bring it is something that I feel like I you know bring into the leadership role in this activist space is a, is like
1: um, you like, evolved. I,
0: I well I evolved, but also I I have a home base in a community that's different than the radical activist community or the academic fat studies community. I've I've always had sort of you know fingers in all of the pies of Fat World. So like as a nightclub promoter, I networked with the other nightclub promoters across the country. You know, as as a nightclub that was trying to be fashion forward, I created a team of models. As some of your listeners will know my most um, recognizable model is Saucy West. It, Saucy started her career when I pulled her out of the crowd at my nightclub because I thought she had such a great look and I wanted to put her on my flyers. And I had no idea back then that, you know, she would become the activist that she is today. I knew she would become the model she is today, but I didn't know she would become the activist that she is today. And, you know, always like super proud of her, but like there was a whole team of women in Oakland and in the, you know, in the Bay Area who represented my nightclub event. And we did fashion shows. In fact, I came to NAFA by producing the fashion show at their 2012 conference. And so, you know, I have I think, there's, I think sometimes our so that the sort of sub-communities of fat world, of the fatosphere, don't always know each other or know how those, you know, other communities operate, and I have a little bit more insight that way than a lot of folks who are radical fat activists. Um, as a, you know, I don't, I think whether you see me as radical or not depends on where your starting point is. There are people that believe I am incredibly radical and there are also people who believe I'm sort of moderate or even sort of conservative when it comes to fat politics, um, I believe that NAFA should be a gateway organization for folks. I don't believe we should be the most radical organization. Um, our work supports organizations that are more radical than we are, but I think that you know, for folks who are new to this, sometimes jumping into the radical end of the pool is too much for them, and I want us to be a sort of gateway organization for those folks And if they move along that spectrum to more um, radical or militant um, activism, I am proud of them for it. And if they don't, we are all out here in our fat bodies trying to figure out how to live our best lives and how to support each other. And we
1: have to do that in lots of
0: different ways.
1: And you've been doing some amazing work, like I said um, earlier. And I want to get into what you've been doing specifically. Now, you launched the campaign for size freedom. Tell us about that.
0: Yes. So the campaign um, for size freedom was started with our friends at Flair, which is the Fat Legal Advocacy Rights and Education Project, and they are the lawyers of fat activism. The the folks who have been involved in you know some of the prominent civil rights cases related to body size discrimination, the folks who helped, you know, pass the law in San Francisco 20 years ago that protects against size discrimination. And we, um, and we, uh, we did this work um, with some support from Dove to launch this campaign. And the purpose of the campaign is to uplift that conversation about why we need more legal protections. When you think about um, the unfairness that fat people face in the world, once you become aware of that, it's easy to be like, oh, well, like, you know, if you're not getting paid fairly at your job, you just sue your boss. Or, oh, like, if they will, you know, not give you the seat that you need in a classroom because you're, you know, the the desks don't work for you, then you just threaten the school with a lawsuit and then they do what you need them to do. And, in fact, it's much more complicated than that because um, the law as it exists does not explicitly include body size as a protected class. And so – you think that it's a kind of discrimination that may have things in common with skin color discrimination or physical ability discrimination or any of those things. But in fact, there's more explicit law to protect people against those things and to offer them some recourse if they're discriminated against. But in the United States, there's no federal law that protects fat people or or short people or people who are experiencing body-based discrimination related to their size in any way. Um, And there's no federal law. Uh, There's only one state law where height and weight are protected classes, that is in Michigan. Um, In the state of Washington, there's a little bit of disability justice law that protects um, people by classifying obesity as a disability. Um, But that's limited and that came from a Supreme Court decision just a few years ago. And that's it at the statewide level. And then there are a handful of cities. And as you mentioned, New York is the most recent city. Um, to pass a bill to ban height and weight discrimination in employment, housing, and public accommodation. Uh, And that bill was passed in the spring and goes into effect this November, so we are super excited about that. And then part of what the campaign is doing is supporting some pending laws in other places. If you live in Vermont, Massachusetts, New Jersey, or the state of New York, um there are folks working on legislation in those places, like it's already active in your states, and it's just a matter of us getting it passed and then there are a couple other places that we'll be announcing soon, but we expect um, an announcement from a western state and we expect um, and you know and we're working on some things with one with one um, uh, with with one other place that's not, you know, that sort of East Coast list that I just rattled off. Um, but, but you know, and then if you're interested in working on something where you live and you didn't hear it on that list, um, you can sign our petition for the Campaign for Size Freedom, which is on our website at NAFA.org, N-A-A-F-A dot O-R-G. Um, And we will use your zip code to help match you with other folks who are interested in working on things near where you live and to keep you updated if we start working on something near where you live. So the goal is ultimately to cover the entire country with laws that make it illegal to discriminate based on body size. The strategy is to do that first um, at the state level because we don't think like It's just not, um, it wouldn't pass politically at the federal level right now, but once we have some more state wins under our belt, then we can also pursue that federal law. So, um, yeah, so that's what the campaign is for, is to just get more people talking about why we need that, and then to inspire people towards more action toward it.
1: Now, you got the support from Dove, which was major. How did they get involved with the size Freedom Campaign?
0: Well, you know, Dove does a lot of research in support of their work around young women and self-esteem. And the folks at Dove would say that their uh, goal is to make beauty a source of confidence rather than a source of anxiety. And um, and to open that up so that everybody can feel that source of confidence around around beauty. And they've done over the last 20 years, a lot of work um, specifically related to young women and self-esteem, and in their research, they were starting to see that like size discrimination was a really serious issue. They also dove also did a lot of work in support of the Crown Act, um, which, if your listeners don't know, the Crown Act is the is the legislative work to create laws that prohibit people from discriminating against Black folks and other folks based on our natural hairstyles. Mm-hmm. And so um, super important work, right? And so Dove did a lot of support and a lot of um, community coalition work around that law. And so when they started to see in their research that um, that size discrimination was such a major issue and should be such a major civil rights issue they started to think about how they could um, support fat community leaders in um, in passing laws related to civil rights um, for you know for, to protect against body size discrimination so um, yeah so that's how they've been involved and what's been great about Dove as a support partner in this way is that they really did identify that the people most affected by size discrimination are people living in larger bodies. It is the fat people. Of course there is size discrimination that impacts um, people based on height. Um, And yes, there are ways that body shaming and actual like systemic things can, um, can create challenges for people because they are considered too thin. That is also true. Um, But the, the majority of, systemic size discrimination lands on fat people. And so Dove wanted to make sure um, that the work around this really had fat leadership. And that is how NAFA and FLIR got, um, you know, came, came together. And NAFA and FLIR, we've been working together with FLIR for, you know, decades, but uh, this is the first time we've done a major national campaign together. So it's, it's been really um, exciting to have support from Dove um, and um, and to you know to to just have this have this brand that in the past has um, been criticized sometimes by more radical fat activists for not representing fat people enough, um, even as they were doing sort of body positivity work and more diversity work and whatever. To see how Dove has um, has really shifted towards, including visibly fat creators and influencers in their campaign work, um, you know, and again, like making sure that people are compensated for their time. As an activist movement, we rely, like I said, on volunteers a lot, partly because we're a really underfunded movement. So to have Dove come in with some funding both for our organization, but also all this funding to, you know, to, to hire folks and pay them to be in these campaigns, um, you know, the, they put together an influencer team um, that they refer to as the, that we refer, we all refer to as the Dove allies. And like this ally team um, is, um, you know, I think it's really essential. And to see, seeing, you know, plus size models um, in those campaigns and plus size models at a wide range of fat bodies um, is, is also really important. So it's been a great nice. partnership.
1: Your work helped pass a law in New York City to outlaw size discrimination in NYC in employment, housing, and public accommodation. Now, this was Mm -hmm. a major accomplishment. How long does it take to make something like that happen? Well,
0: you know, there's groundwork that was being laid in in New York and especially at the state level in New York for many, many years. But the story of this bill really starts with Councilmember Brad Lander um, just a couple of years ago who first introduced a bill like this at the city level. And, you know, and of course, like New York City is so big that just population-wise, passing a bill there is like protects more people than numerous u.s states or uh, you know small countries and in, in other parts of the world or whatever so it's just huge 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 in new york but Brad Lander introduced this bill with some help from lydia green who's one of the um district leaders in new york and um and then um the bill was not passed during that session, but council member Sean Abreu picked it up last summer, and he had, um, you know, two kind of motivations. First of all, he was just looking around. He's really committed to civil rights in his work, and he was looking around saying, like, who needs protections that doesn't have them? But part of the reason that he noticed that size might be a thing is that he gained weight himself during the pandemic, and he saw the difference in how people treated him. And so oh. he used that inspiration from his own personal experience to really fire up his passion around this. And so he did a great job of advocating for this bill. And then we came in, um, you know, the, the campaign partners this actually started working in New York City before we formed the Size camp, Freedom campaign. Um, but we, NAFA and Flair, alongside um, folks from the labor industry. Um, The Retail Workers Union and Retail Action, which is a project for retail employees who work in shops that don't have unions um, to make sure that their rights are protected too, like those two labor partners were incredibly important in helping us get this bill passed in New York City. So we teamed up with them and, you know, and activated folks to like reach out to their representatives, come down to City Hall and have this rally. We had a small but but mighty rally on the steps of city hall and it was like the whole like um it actually snowed the night before and they weren't even sure city Hall was going to be open and we all trudged through the snow to get out there and stand on the steps with our signs but mayor adams you know walked through our rally on his way to another meeting um that helped put it on his radar as well so like there are all these different pieces um you know but fat community really showed up because The folks who turned out to testify when this bill went to its committee hearing, which is where, you know, testimony happens in New York City, um, almost everybody was from FAT community, and those who weren't were strong allies of FAT politics and FAT liberation work. And so um, nobody who opposed the bill showed up to say anything about the bill. (laughs) And so there we were, right, with, you know, all of these representatives who showed up, folks... Um, you know, folks like me who are part of advocacy organizations, but also just like New York residents who cared about this, who, you know, who do work in their own professions that talks about how this affects them in their jobs and how that affected them in their education and how it affects them going about life in the city. Um, and that really moved some of the other people who hadn't made up their mind about the bill yet. And so the bill passed, Um and um, and now, you know, New York is one of the most populous places in the world that has that protection.
1: Now, listening to you, you just taught me a new uh, phrase,
0: mm-hmm. fat
1: politics. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I heard fat politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking what you're doing with fat politics and, and public policy, really, mm-hmm. do you think sometimes that gets overshadowed? by fashion in in let's say in the plus size community because someone would come out with a new line from a designer everybody shares that but what you're doing is almost more Mm -hmm. important and it doesn't get the same exposure
0: well you know the sexy sexy issues Always get more exposure, right? You gonna fat, fat entertainers, fat fashionistas, fat designers, like you said, you know, the, 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 who hit the runway at New York Fashion Week, like those things have more of a built in media attention around them, and also, like, we need some escapism sometimes, the really serious stuff. If you sit there every day and only look at all of the ways that systemic injustice impacts fat people, you will be fired up, but you will also be worn out, right? We need Mm -hmm. fat joy and fat fashion, you know, plus size fashion, and especially folks, again, folks who use the word fat to talk about their fashion choices. You know, as whether that's the selfies that they post, or they're a designer or they run a fashion company or whatever, one of the things we notice is that when folks are using fat, they are usually folks who are more informed about all that other political stuff, all that other sociopolitical stuff we just talked about. But fat visibility is important. It humanizes fat people. It helps empower fat people when we see ourselves um, and when we see ourselves doing the same things other people get to do and sometimes doing them even better, there are some really fly, fat fashionistas, and they're not just Fly for fat girls, they're flyer than everybody else or for fat people because they're across all the gender spectrum, too. There are some real badasses out there, right, when it comes to fashion. And if they can get more people to think differently about fat bodies, that actually helps build our world but also i always tell people that we should not be so quick to dismiss fashion as something that is more superficial than the issues that we're working on it's actually part of the issues that we're working on the fashion industry is one of the largest employers in the world so if we know that fat people just you know experience size discrimination in the workplace then having that employment sector be more educated about that kind of discrimination and working harder to you know prevent and tear down that kind of discrimination is incredibly important, and also in all those other ways that I mentioned at the beginning, you know in the court system, when you go to a medical appointment where you like you if you know it should be that you can show up for any of those things in any clothes and be treated fairly, but the reality of the world is that part of your visual presentation can actually help you feel more confident in those situations, but can also help more people take you seriously in those situations. If you have a child custody case because your ex is saying you're too fat to be a good mom, and you show up at that court case, you know, you show up at that court hearing in a muumu, that's a very different impact than if you show up at that court hearing in a really smart, you know, attractive suit that makes you feel confident and it makes you look good and look competent to people. Right. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. matter, but it does. And so mm-hmm. fashion is actually tremendously powerful that way. You know, it's tremendously powerful that, that way. It, the self-expression piece is important. We should get to have fun with fashion and we should get to show our true selves with fashion as much as we want to. And also it's an accessibility issue.
1: Now your work has also brought some inclusivity to Pinterest. Tell us about that.
0: Yes yeah, so so on the subject of of Pinterest you know Pinterest thinks about their users i think everybody probably knows what Pinterest is right it's a, a a social media site where people can uh they call it pinning you 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 know you make boards of your your favorite things your for your hobbies for your interests whatever and a lot of people use it for fashion and um what Pinterest wanted to make sure was that their users were not experiencing having to do extra work to find inspiration just because they're plus size. So what they worked on was um, some new AI technology that would ensure that when you do a fashion search on Pinterest, like if, you know, if if we're in early October, you go to Pinterest and search fall fashions, you're going to get a diversity of skin tones, and hair textures, and now a diversity of body sizes. You're not going to just see thin white ladies, you know, sipping their, you know, pumpkin lattes. Bless them, especially if they're allies, but you're not going to only see them. You are going to see people like Leah V. You're going to see people like Saucy West, you know. You're going to see people like Shanice Lewis because somebody's got you pinned to their fashion boards as inspiration, I know, right? But now those folks are going to come up in the search results without you having to type plus size fall fashions in order to see some of those fashions.
1: So we're really excited to
0: consult with. Yeah, it's really nice. And I think it's good for everybody of everybody's size because, again, we know that some of the flyest people on earth, are fat women and femmes and you know and and actually like let me just let me just say fat people because again it is people of all genders uh we know are some of the flyest folks on earth look at jeff jenkins on his travel show and the kind of outfits he's wearing right um if you don't know jeff's travel show it's one of my favorite things to shout out it's um And I'm not affiliated with him in any way, I just love it like as a viewer. Um, It's on National Geographic, it's called Never Say Never. Uh, But Jeff is a big guy. He refers to himself as a chubby guy. And he just wears these really fly short sets and different cute outfits and stuff. I want to see that, but I don't want only the other plus size people to see that. I want everybody to see that. So if you Mm -hmm. search men's fashion on Pinterest, I want you to see Jeff no matter what your size is, right? If you Mm -hmm. search fashion, I want you to see Shanice no matter what your size is. So I'm really, really excited about that Pinterest work. And they've been great partners. We're looking forward to doing more work with them on other projects.
1: That is amazing. You're doing some very great things. How can we support the work that you're doing with NAFWA?
0: Well, we are – you know, we're in the first of all. We are in uh, our our board search right now. We're looking for um, a few new board members, and we are especially interested in people of color. In, um, you know, in LGBTQIA folks, in disabled folks, and in super fat folks. In our community, we use the term super fat. I think that would be, you know, extended size folks in the plus size um, fashion world. And, um, and, and we, we need some fellows. We need some like, we need some men and, you know, masculine folks, wherever they are on the gender spe- spectrum, but that I are masculine to, to add some diversity and some representation to our board. So if you are any of those things, um, or if you're just passionate about the things that you're hearing, definitely go by our website and check out our board search. And, or if you know somebody who you'd like to nominate, we're also taking nominations from the community. And if you, um, and, but if that's not the way that you want to get involved, um, there is a volunteer sign-up form that you could work on other kinds of projects with us. And then, of course, like I mentioned, this is an incredibly underfunded social justice area. Um, fat liberation activism, the movement to make sure that fat people experience freedom and equity in the world, is one of the most underfunded social justice areas on earth. So if you've got something to give, no, again, like we, like we, some my, one of my friends called me the Bernie Sanders of fat activism because I was like, we get all these five dollar <laughs> donations and it makes me really proud. I I don't know what I have in common with Bernie other than that, but like other than be like you know, cranky sometimes and getting a lot of $5 donors. But, um, but like seriously, a $5 donation, all those $5 donations add up to us being able to do things like hire ASL interpreters for our virtual events or. Um, you know, uh, pay contractors to do some of the work that we're doing so that we, you know, support other FAT events. You know, we do some event sponsorships or some, you know, some support of other events. Like, all of the money adds up to allowing us to do the work better and reach more people with the work. So, you know, if you are able to support financially, that is, you know, an incredible gift and it's a really is a gift that keeps on giving. And you can do that at our website, NAFA.org. Um, you can do that through Facebook and Instagram, and Meta pays all of the processing fees for that, so all the money really comes to us. Um, You can give through PayPal. There are lots of different ways that you can give to us if if that's the way that you want to participate.
1: And I have to mention that you will be honored with the People's Choice Community Service Award at the 2023 Full Figured Industry Awards uh, coming up in November. Mm -hmm. How excited are you about that?
0: I'm really excited and um, I'm really excited because uh, Bertha Pearl from Size Clean Clothing is making me something to wear that I'm very excited to, um, to show off to folks. But also I think it's gonna be a great opportunity to do exactly what we're doing today to, you know, to tell more people about the kind of work that NAFA does. And if NAFA is not the organization that you want to support in doing it, I'm happy to help you find any other organization that does this, does this work to support. And I'm really, so I'm really excited to be there to like mix and mingle with the other folks such as yourself who are yes. um, being honored by, who are, who are being honored and, um, and to just, you know, make it back to New York. I if, if somebody had told me two years ago, I would spend this much time in New York city, Um, I think I've spent more time in New York City in the last year than I have in my entire life up to that point, Um, but I'm really loving getting to know the community there, the plus-size community and the fat activist community, and seeing, you know, some of those folks come together even more than they already do, and so it's really exciting to Um, to be honored at this event that is mostly, not totally, but it's mostly focused on fashion and the plus, you know, plus size fashion space, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to just, to to just get to be amongst the folks and, and talk about what we do. I'm really excited about it.
1: Now we've covered so much. Do you have anything else happening that we can be on the lookout for?
0: Well, I just, you know, we have an events page on our website, and of course, you can follow us on our social media. We're most active on Instagram and Facebook, but we are on Twitter, we are on LinkedIn. Um, we are not really on TikTok yet, but it's it's, it's coming, and and uh, and your support with funding would help us hire somebody to oversee our TikTok, I'm just saying, but um, we do a lot of virtual event programming right now. Um, We know that virtual events are, you know, more accessible for folks who it's hard for them physically to get to an event um, because of size or disability or a combination of those things or because of their location or whatever the reasons. So um, no matter what happens as the world, you know, becomes more and more in-person again, we are committed to continuing to have a robust virtual event program, and we, do all kinds of things, everything from drag story time to like more serious academic kind of webinars. So just, you know, sign up for our newsletter or follow us on social media or both um, so that you can just stay informed about what kinds of things we have coming up. And then, of course, there will be updates from the from the campaign for size freedom and news from our board search and all kinds of things. Um, and, and our, you know, a, our year end fundraiser and uh, like all kinds of, of things like that. But the virtual events are a great place to come and, you know, get in that zoom space, see some other folks, um, you know, interact in the chat. We have an event called fat, Friday's virtual social club, which is an affinity space group that's for fat people only, but that's a totally interactive, you know, um, closed group that you folks register for, but that once a month can just ha- do a virtual hangout with folks. So there are lots of ways to be in community with us. And if you're not already, if you already don't feel politicized around fat liberation politics. If you feel like this is this this is all new to me what you're saying, lady and it's a little bit more than I um <laughs> was prepared for today, that's okay. Come be in space with us and you, you know, I I didn't I couldn't have said all this 15 years ago, you know? Right. Um, and like but you know, but like row by row, my garden grows, right, like little by little, you learn more, and you just meet some really cool people along the way, there are a lot of really fantastic folks in fat community um and so you know, just come just come vibe with us right now, we mostly do that in the virtual space, but yeah, just come vibe with us,
1: well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I learned something new, um, so you know, this has been amazing. You definitely have my support. Napa has my support. You definitely have to come back, um, when you're launching something else or something else big happens. Um, We definitely definitely want to have more crossover in the communities because we're stronger united. So, um, again, continue success with everything you have going on and I'll see you in New York.
0: Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all your listeners for tuning in, Shanice. And, um, yeah, I'll see you in the Big Apple.
1: All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. And thank you to my guest this evening for being on the show. I've been your host, Shanice Lewis. Thank you for tuning in and supporting. Until next time, keep thriving in your curves and be blessed you've been listening to the Shanice Lewis Show for more info about the show
0: visit ShaniceLewisShow.com okay round two name something that's not boring
1: a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh
0: ah oh, sorry we were looking for Chumba Casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See for details.